0: by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that
1: he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be.
0: Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray deliver us from evil get me out of here get me out of this sin-filled world and that is jesus christ
1: uh, who says do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that now on 95.7 fm it's proclaiming the one with pastor clint poppy and pastor adam Oline from good shepherd lutheran church in lincoln nebraska
0: Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam O'Lean, Vicar Albert Bader. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, it is our joy each week to take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday morning worship. Today, we're going to be examining the readings for Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. We didn't. Uh, we didn't take any extra time in our uh, At Home in Your Hymnal class to talk about the special worship rubrics or the special activities of Palm Sunday. Pastor, perhaps you could take a moment and talk about some of the things historically that have been done on Palm Sunday and how that has carried over into the church today and even maybe what our practice is here at Good Shepherd
1: yeah um well, historically, Palm Sunday is the day we remember that Christ uh, rides into Jerusalem uh, for the very explicit purpose of going to the cross and die for sin uh, and uh, part of that uh, celebration is is that when Christ rode into town, they wove, waved, waved uh, palm branches uh, they didn't wove them, I suppose. But they waved palm branches and uh, welcomed him in. Uh, They threw their cloaks on the ground. And so as part of the uh, divine service, there is normally a uh, processional that takes place uh, with the processional cross and palm branches as well. Uh, Many churches, those palm branches are then um, used and saved uh, to make the ashes for the next year's Ash Wednesday. They're dried uh, appropriately and uh, burned um, for that reason. And uh, Uh, So then at Good Shepherd, that's the same thing we do. We start it then um, with the gospel lesson uh, in the back of the church where we read the account of what happened on that very first Palm Sunday so that we understand that what we're doing is not a sacrament in itself or some special uh, fancy thing the church does, but rather uh, it's the Word of God that's important. And what we're doing is acting out what God's Word has taught us uh, and what it uh, says. And so uh, uh, that's part of the uh, Palm Sunday um, Activities.
0: Uh, perhaps you could also enlighten us about why the people, and I know we'll get into this as we get to our gospel reading, but why the people cut palm branches down and laid them at Jesus' feet. This has now become a tradition throughout the world, and uh, there are people that make lots and lots of money simply by chopping down pieces of palm branches or palm leaves or palm branches, selling them to Christians, selling them to churches, having a certain um, art- artwork done out of woven palm leaves, uh, having people uh, go to the Vatican to have the Pope bless their palm. You know, we-, we got all this stuff. How in the world did this palm thing get started?
1: Well, um, yeah, it, it's kind of gotten out of hand in some ways I guess uh the way that it began is um in the ancient world uh, when you were a victorious king uh, or a uh, uh, conquering general uh, you would come into town and the people would celebrate by waving these palm branches why palm branches uh, because they are easy to get the the main tree uh, in uh, the middle east and in that part of the world were palm trees and in fact the the reality is of, of palm trees uh, that they start as just a small bush with a few fronds and they grow taller and taller but As uh, the tree grows taller, a new set of palm branches grows. And the old set, they just die and they kind of droop down, but they never actually come down on their own. Uh, And so when you go to the Holy Land or other places, you'll see some palm trees uh, that have green leafy vegetation at the top. And then for the entire trunk, 30, 40, 50 feet, it's just a load of dead branches. Uh, And so you either can cut those down yourself uh, or let them hang there until the tree finally dies. And so, for the point of view of a citizen of an ancient town, if you're going to celebrate and wave something, these palm branches are the perfect thing because uh, if you don't cut them off and wave them here, they're just going to hang there and look dead and ugly for a long time anyways. And so uh, that's kind of where that became. It, it, it uh, reached its pinnacle with ancient Rome and the idea of a triumph or an ovation, different layers of uh, the same sort of thing, um, where the uh, the whole town came out and greeted the conquering ruler or general uh, by waving branches and laying their cloaks on the ground. And uh, in the scripture that uh, foretold that the uh, uh, the king uh, will come to Jerusalem in such a way, and that's we're going to get there with our readings as well. But um, that's kind of the the basis for that practice.
0: Thank you, thank you. And you know, if you've if you've been on vacation to Florida or Hawaii or some place like that where palm trees grow, you uh, you may get the impression. That palm trees are neat and clean and sanitary. Uh, It's just the opposite. It takes a tremendous amount of work, trimming and cleaning almost constant. Some palm branches or some palm trees only have the palms at the top, others have these palms that are growing all the way up the trunk. And to keep them neat and trim is almost a full time job. And so we get a little bit of a distorted picture. And many of the times the palms that are waved in the churches uh, are a far, far cry from the kind of palms that uh, that are growing in uh, in this part of the world. Um, to, to do this reenactment is uh, uh, a nice thing. It gets the kids involved. A lot of times uh, kids always get a big kick out of Palm Sunday here. Um, Lutherans have been robbed of Palm Sunday in uh in many respects, because Palm Sunday traditionally is the time in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, when uh, juniors were confirmed. And so Palm Sunday was uh, basically taken away from people because confirmation swallowed up Palm Sunday. And that's one of the reasons why here at Good Shepherd, I'm so glad that we did not have that tradition when I came. And uh, I have never, ever, ever buckled to uh, push for uh, confirmation on Palm Sunday because I want the people to celebrate Palm Sunday. Amen. Enough about it. Vicar, the introit for Palm Sunday, uh, selected verses from Psalm 22.
2: But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen.
0: Be not far from me. I think if you uh, did one of those word search things on this particular text, you would see that that phrase and that word far is the one that is repeated the most here. Um, What's the problem, Pastor, when God is or even seems far away?
1: Well, um, th- that the important thing there, I guess, to start with is that it's only that he seems far away. God is uh, present everywhere, omnipresent, uh, and so it's not the fact that he actually is far away, but rather that our sinful minds think that he is far away. And uh, we kind of understand that idea when we think about our own children. Uh, if you are uh, far away from your kid and something bad happens, you can't get there right away to fix the problem. Uh, If you're sitting on the porch and you see your kid fall off their bike halfway down the street, you're not there to catch him. You're not there to help him get up. You have to run over there and it takes time. And uh, if we think that's the way that God is, that he's far off, um, then we think he doesn't either care about our problems, that he can't help because he's too far away, or that it'll take too long for the help to do any good. And so, The prayer, be not far off, is a prayer, uh, say, be right here so that when the trouble arises, you can help. When the problem's there, you can help. If uh, a need arises, you can help.
0: Oftentimes, we get the sense or the feeling that God has forsaken us, that God has abandoned us. In fact, we have these words right here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We feel that way often. And it seems like God is far away. Vicar, what is the proof on Palm Sunday that God is not far away?
2: Jesus is literally in the midst of the people coming into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. So the Lord is literally right there with them.
0: Yes, he's right in the middle of the people. He's riding the donkey. Did you like my uh, donkey Ah, impersonation there?
1: For those uh, on the radio, you even got to see him imaginarily riding. a donkey. <laughs> Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> um, but he is right in the midst of the people. In, uh, at the beginning or at the uh, end of Luke 9, he sets his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. And lo and behold, it's Palm Sunday and he's here. And he knows why he's here. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. He is on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. He is riding into Jerusalem. We're going to get this in our gospel reading in the next segment. But he has come for a specific reason. He has come to save. Trouble is near. There is none to help. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Rescue me from the horns of the wild oxen. Pastor, I've been up and down the streets of uh, Lincoln now for over 20 years. I do not believe that I have ever witnessed a mouth of a lion or the horns of a wild oxen. Uh, Maybe you did uh, recently when you took your kids to the Henry Dorley Zoo down in Omaha. But what kind of enemies are we talking about when we're talking about the mouth of the lion and the horns of the wild oxen?
1: Well, uh, those are wild animals that um, if you were walking down the road in the ancient world, uh, you have always the possibility that a um, a lion will hop out and eat you or that you'll run into one of these wild ox that's mad and uh, you'll get chased by it. Um, There's a... Netflix show that was on I don't know if it's still on Netflix anyways but it traced these guys uh, these kids that had to walk to school and one of the people uh, traced were these uh, two young people uh, I think living in Nigeria and they had to walk about 80 miles to school each week and the thing the parents told these kids before they started their 80 mile walk to school was if you see elephants go the other direction because Elephants are mean and they're big and um, the kids wouldn't stand any chance against them. And, and that's the kind of idea uh, that uh, this has in mind. We're probably not used to that now. Maybe the closest thing we have now is coyotes might eat your little yapper dog. Um, but uh, uh, that's a real reality in the ancient world.
0: And uh, today, these words are often used as descriptors for the way that the deceiver, Satan, moves around roar uh, like a uh, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour the devil the world and our flesh constantly attacking uh god's people and today we know that god is not far off he is right here with us and he is here to save us we need to take a short break proclaiming the one we're looking at the readings for palm sunday don't chase that dial Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. We want to get right into our gospel reading. The uh, uh, Palm Sunday reading is from Matthew. We could have had it from uh, other uh, gospels as well. But uh, Matthew 21, 1 to 9.
2: And the crowds that went before him and that followed after him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Uh, it's a, uh, quite the uh, gospel lesson that's
1: there. It, if you uh, just can put it in your mind uh, uh, from a... Uh, geographical point of view Uh, there is a big valley on the eastern side of Jerusalem Uh, on one side the east side is the Mount of Olives and on the west side it would be the Temple Mount Mount Moriah And uh, Jesus uh, would have been coming from Jericho. He would have made his way down the Jordan River Valley to Jericho and then begun his way up. Uh, He'd spent uh, the week before he was in uh, Bethany, uh, which is just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. Uh, That's where he would have raised Lazarus back to life. And now on this Palm Sunday, he goes up to the top of the hill where the village of Bethphage would have been. And uh, it's a very steep donkey ride down uh the mount of olives into the valley and then turn around and go right back up into the uh the temple mount itself on the east side of Jerusalem is the golden gate uh, which tradition had held uh, and still holds today for um, for Jews and for Muslims that uh, the Savior the Messiah would enter Jerusalem through the golden gate in fact that's why today there's a big Muslim cemetery in front of it if the uh, uh, Messiah is a uh, Led by Elijah, Elijah would be unable to enter a cemetery because he's a priest. So the Muslims built a big cemetery in front of the Golden Gate to keep Elijah out, to keep um, uh, the Messiah out as well. Uh, he would have entered there into the Temple Mount itself to begin his teaching that day, and uh, it's kind of a neat thing. And, and just, it really is a very steep hill. You can't even emphasize having walked down it. I would not want to ride a donkey down the Mount of Olives in uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, this would be the same gate then that the uh, scapegoat would be let out to go the same direction uh, Jesus was coming from. Uh, lots of things here all being brought together in this particular text.
0: Okay, and that uh, that scapegoat is from Leviticus 16, if you'd like to check that out. Pastor, we got some funky stuff going on here. Jesus tells his disciples, um, you know, some might say, uh, go in and uh, steal a ride for me. And then we get this little interlude starting in verse 4 of Matthew 21. Well, we had to do this because this is what uh, the prophet uh, Zechariah said. And uh, then again in verse 6 so the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They, uh, they went and got the donkey, the colt, put, them on, put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. What, why this extra attention to the detail that Jesus tells the disciples to go into the village in front of you, find a donkey tied there with its colt, untie him and bring them. and if anybody asks you, say, uh, 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 the Lord needs them, the Lord needs them. Wh- what's going on here?
1: Well, um, Jesus is not stealing it. In fact, we were pretty sure from other Gospels as well that uh, the disciples, when they went in, they actually did have people ask them, you know, why are you taking my donkey? And they told them the answer, just as Jesus said, we're going to borrow it and we'll, we're going to have Christ right in here. And, and uh, uh, that managed, however odd it may sound to us, uh, it managed to smooth things over with the people uh, that they were borrowing the donkey from, and so uh, it it needs to happen uh, this way to fulfill what uh, we're going to read in our Old Testament lesson from Zechariah, and um, that fulfillment God foresaw long ago in the time he wrote Zechariah, and it's... uh, should be no surprise to us that all these things are happening exactly that way in this particular account when Jesus rides into Jerusalem.
0: So there's no surprise. Uh, Everything is done according to God's plan. Uh, This is all scripted out very clearly in the mind of God. Jesus tells the disciples what to do. Jesus has in mind everything that's going to happen. And this is unfolding. This story, this drama is unfolding not only before our eyes 2,000 years later as we read the gospel accounts, but it's unfolding before the very eyes of the disciples. Imagine what they're thinking. Everything is just exactly like he told us. Maybe they were thinking, well, you know, the donkey belongs to Jesus because he's God and he created everything. You can just imagine how the disciples are talking back and forth about, you know, who who is this guy? Maybe he really is the Christ. And the identity of Jesus uh, is about to be fulfilled before the whole world as he is publicly displayed on the cross, Suspended between heaven and hell, or heaven and earth. (laughs) Sometimes that is hell. Heaven and earth, naked, bleeding, dying for our salvation. Vicar, uh, we're going to talk more about the uh, uh, Old Testament reading from Zechariah and the uh, and the fulfillment there. Why in verse eight? Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Why in the world would they do that? Why would they get their clothes dirty and why would they uh, chop down these uh, branches, whether they're dead or alive, from the trees as Jesus is coming into town?
2: Well, I think that has a lot to do with what Pastor Moline already said in the first segment. Uh, These people were making a confession even by their action. Actions and especially with what they're going to say here in a little bit, that they really did believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah, the King who is coming into Jerusalem, who is fulfilling all these things. Uh, Think about the scriptures that they had back then. All they had was the Old Testament, and certainly as they're seeing these things unfold before their eyes, I'm sure they just couldn't help but think about the words of the prophet and how these things are being fulfilled in their own sight. And so there's no surprise that they treat Jesus as the king that he is and lay down their cloaks on the road and lay down the palm branches on the road for him and then, of course, shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Pretty good inclination of what these people were seeing and believing at the time.
0: So we have Courtesy and Respect. Uh, maybe you watch a TV show and uh, the the young man or the Boy Scout takes off his coat and lays it on the water puddle so the little old lady or the beautiful girlfriend does not have to put her uh, nice fancy shoes in the mud. Uh, maybe it's like Rolling Out the Red Carpet. On uh, the Academy Awards night, you know, we treat our movie stars like royalty here in America. We say we have no um, royal class in America like we do in England, but we do. It's uh, movie stars. It's sports stars. It's politicians. Sometimes it's even uh, TV preachers. Uh, so so it's there. And so it's a, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of courtesy. It's a sign of worship in one respect. Um, and there uh and pastor if you want to comment on that that's great. I want you to uh bridge the gap here not only with what they uh, what they do but what they say. The significance of the words coming out of their mouth because I think that clarifies the intent of their action.
1: Well, just to quick uh bring it all together as far as the the act itself uh it's called the triumphal entry. Uh, which has that word triumph in there, which is the celebration of ancient Romans. And in fact, uh, that gets brought into this uh, English translation. This is what's happening. It's a triumph of Jesus when the king rides in. And that brings us to what they're saying. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're seeing Jesus as the uh, successor to the throne of David. Uh, And they see him coming in to be their... Jewish king to establish a Jewish kingdom that's what they see the Messiah uh, as coming to do and so Christ is riding in and that's what they're seeing and they're celebrating that fact that now they have a Jewish king and the odd thing is is that Jesus is coming for a completely different reason not to be their worldly king or their worldly ruler he's coming in specifically to bleed and to die to be the sacrifice and so he's not only a king he's also priest uh, and sacrifice, as as we know from our Lutheran catechism, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, he's coming to shed his blood so that all those people can receive forgiveness of sins. And so, in that way, it is kind of the anti-scapegoat. Instead of being sent out, he's the sacrifice coming in uh, to bleed and die
2: for the people.
0: Vicar, uh, any idea what that word Hosanna means?
2: Hosanna, save us now.
0: So... What does the what does this saving now have to do with riding into town on a donkey?
2: Well, already this is prefiguring what Jesus is going to do here on Good Friday. Uh, Jesus is riding in triumphantly. Uh, his enemies of sin, death, and the devil are about to be destroyed. Uh, the people probably don't know quite that yet, as uh, we, looking back on it in faith, do today. But for sure his enemies are going to be destroyed and here in the week to come we will see how jesus fulfills that for us
0: pastor um, these words are familiar to people who worship in a christian church especially a liturgical christian church where do we hear and sing these words in the worship service and why is that significant
1: Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We uh, we sing these words um, during the service of the sacrament um, in divine service setting three. And so in that way, they are very familiar to us, something that we do often uh, as we think about the fact that Christ is coming to us uh, here in Lincoln, Nebraska at 3825 Wildbriar Lane each Sunday in, with, and under the bread and the wine for the same reason he went to Jerusalem to give us, deliver to us forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation.
0: Isn't uh, Isn't it amazing that on Palm Sunday Jesus rides in humbly on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the service of the sacrament, Our Lord comes to us humbly riding on regular bread and regular wine. It's not some $3,000 Chardonnay or some uh, fancy piece of uh, French bread or French toast. Ordinary bread, ordinary wine, extraordinary Jesus, who is not far off, and he comes to save us. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
3: You are listening to KNNA LP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. This is Pastor Poppy. Along with me, Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. If you live in or around Lincoln, we'd love to have you... Worship with us on Palm Sunday. We gather at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between. Bring the little ones a little bit early for the divine service and they can participate in the children's procession with palms, which is always a highlight of the day for Palm Sunday. It's a big day and it ushers in a big week palm sunday is the beginning of holy week and here at good shepherd we have opportunities to worship each day during holy week holy monday tuesday and wednesday we'll gather at 6 30 for vespers monday thursday we will celebrate at 12 15 and 6 30 Good Friday, we'll have our Treor service focusing on the three hours. The last three hours Jesus spent on the cross, that'll be at 1230, uh, 1215, excuse me, on Good Friday. And our service of darkness will be at 730 on Good Friday evening, 730 so that we can end our service in the darkness and especially join us for the Easter vigil this coming Saturday, uh, 6 p.m. 6 p.m., and we will bridge the darkness at the end of our Triduum. We will bridge the darkness from the darkness of Good Friday to the joy of Easter. Today, we are looking at the Palm Sunday readings. In segment one, we looked at the introit portion of Psalm 22. In our second segment, we looked at the Gospel reading, Matthew 21, 1-9. to And now we want to look at this Old Testament reading, which is very, very closely connected to the uh, Gospel reading from Matthew 21. Zechariah 9, 9-12. to Vicar?
2: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double.
0: All right, we got a lot of stuff here in Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the last four books of the Bible. Zephaniah Haggai, Zechariah Malachi. Uh, it's a minor prophet, although it's one of the most prolific of the minor prophets. If you sit down and think you're going to read Zechariah in 15 minutes, uh, you've got another thing coming because there's a lot of stuff in Zechariah. Can you tell us just a little bit, Pastor, about the... Um, situation that is going on that Zechariah is called by God to prophesy to?
1: Well, uh, Zechariah is preaching and teaching about the coming of the Messiah, something that's foretold. uh, I don't know how to say it any different than this. The entire Bible in the Old Testament is all about the coming of a Messiah. And and now that uh, uh, Zechariah is writing at the time of the return from the exile, um, that's the next thing that's really going to be taking place. The Messiah is going to be coming. It's going to happen 500 years after Zechariah writes, of course, but uh, he is now focusing the attention of all the Israelites on that. Um, they have had their kingdom. Uh, that They... Kingdom collapsed. It was taken into exile. Now they've returned. What does it mean to be a Jew uh, in that time? Zechariah says, Look ahead uh, to the Savior, the one uh, who's coming. And how will you recognize him? He'll ride a donkey. He'll ride into Jerusalem. And uh, he'll, this is important, I think, he'll save you by his blood of the covenant and he'll set you free from hell. Zechariah is saying, That's where your eyes ought to be. Unfortunately, all the Jews, of course, want to look where—back. <laughs> they want to yeah. be the kingdom that they were before.
0: Yeah, they want to be the political entity. Right. They want to—they want to have the um, uh, geography and the landmass restored to what it was at the pinnacle of David and Solomon. In some ways, the same thing that
1: um, they want now to it, have their own kingdom.
0: Uh, ver- very, very, uh, very astute observation, because many of the things that we hear with the battles that are going on in modern-day Israel with uh, the Palestinians is simply to reclaim ground that was lost at this, that point, or that point in, uh, in history, and uh, this is missing the whole point. Your king is coming to you. What can you tell us about the king situation? at the time of Zechariah, the time a little bit before Zechariah, time a little bit after Zechariah, do we have mighty, strong, powerful, well-known kings like David and Solomon?
1: We do. They are Persians, and they are not living in Jerusalem. And uh, it's to those kings that they, are, at that time, are under authority and rule of uh a couple hundred years after this, it will be Greeks. Uh, and then after that, they'll try and establish their own kingdom again in this little interlude, the Hasmonians. but uh, they'll soon be replaced by Romans. And so it is never again uh, by this time that the Jewish people will have a king of their own um, nationality, of their own making. They'll be under the rule of others.
0: So they have a king, but they don't have a king because the king is a foreign king. Correct. And this is why all the battle talk. Because they are anticipating the only way that we can get our our country back, the only way we can get our pride back, the only way we can get our our church back is if God comes down and intervenes in a supernatural way and with a sword and chariots and bows and all these kind of things uh, wipes them out or maybe even sends an angel like, uh, like he did with uh, Sennacherib's ar- army. And uh, 185,000 troops dead in one night. Uh, this is the kind of biblical miracle that the people were looking forward to. And so Zechariah uses this imagery of a battle, but he flips it around. He flips it back. Um,
1: and I think, too, if you take Zechariah and you read it and you're not looking for for jesus but rather you're looking for an earthly king one cannot help but see this to be a triumph of a king who is just won in battle not a king who's riding into jerusalem to fight the battle on your behalf and so they they do miss jesus completely if we rightly understand these words from Zechariah, there's no way they can point to anyone except for christ
0: and so here we have a king a victorious king or one who is getting ready to do battle. Either way, however you look at that, um, on a mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Vicar, uh, what would a king, especially a military king, normally be riding at this point? Not a donkey. I mean, you're a farm boy. What would what would the king be riding?
2: A majestic stud, I would imagine. Maybe a big white horse or something like that. Uh, Certainly not a donkey, something that would have been used for you know, transporting goods or water or something like that. They were what the scripture teaches, a beast of burden. Uh, they were needed in the ancient world, but they're certainly not as fast and agile as a horse, which would have been used for military conflict.
0: And so this mighty king, this grand warrior, he's coming in on a donkey instead of a great steed. And he's coming in not to speak war, but to speak peace. peace. Pastor, what kind of peace are we talking about? And how does that connect to that blood of my covenant that you talked about before?
1: Well, the the peace that he's talking about is the peace that far surpasses all understanding. The peace that's found only in what God does to save his people from their sin, to grant them eternal life, and to restore a right relationship between humanity and God. And that's the thing Christ is coming to do. He comes into town righteous and having salvation. That, that word right there, those two words uh, tell us as well, he's coming to uh, make right uh, happen between mankind and God.
0: Peace I bring to you, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. These are words of Jesus from the Gospel of John describing to us the kind of peace that the Prince of Peace is coming in. He is coming to make war, all right. To make war with sin, death, and the power of the devil. And the instrument that he will use to crush his opponents is his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. That's why he comes into Jerusalem. That's why he comes in to save. And when we see Jesus coming in in this way on Palm Sunday, all of this prophesied by Zechariah 500 years before, now fulfilled in the Palm Sunday triumphal procession of Jesus, we see that we do not have a God who is far off. We have a God who enters in history, who takes on flesh and blood, who cares enough about us to come to us and save us. I love what you said in the previous segment, Pastor. Um, This is the place where the scapegoat would be sent out, Leviticus 16. Here we have the anti-scapegoat. The scapegoat, that person, that one who will bear the sins of the whole world, is not being sent out. He's coming in. He is coming in freely and willingly to bear the sin of the world. Oh, thanks be to God. One last word, Pastor. In verse 12, uh, it's talking about returning, having hope. And it says, I will restore to you double. What's this double portion all about? And what does that signify about our status with this king?
1: Well, the word restore there, I think, is the key word because restore means put back the way that it was. And this goes all the way back then to Genesis chapter 3 when mankind fell into sin. Uh, Christ is coming in to restore things to the way they were before sin so that there will no longer be death or suffering or pain or thorns, uh, pain and childbirth and all the rest, but instead everything will be good and very good as God had made it. And this all happens then because of verse 11 The blood of the covenant, the blood that Christ sheds, the blood that, uh, uh, you know, a covenant is making a deal between two parties. And they say that if you break your end of the deal, you'll be killed and bloody like this animal we're sacrificing. And uh, Christ makes that deal with us all the way back in Genesis 3. And we break it over and over and over again. And so he has to become mad and step in on our behalf to have his life taken so that the covenant might be kept and fulfilled.
0: And when he does that for us, we receive it by grace through faith. We are in the family. And as someone who is truly in the family, we get all the blessings of God. We get the blessings of the firstborn. We get the double portion. God is a gift-giving God, and his gifts never run out. greatest gift of all is Jesus. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One, looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
3: You are listening to K N N A L P ninety five point seven FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you'd uh, like to check out our Archive section on our radio website. Listen to this or any other Proclaiming One program or also any of the other self-generated programs that we have here on KNNALP, including but not limited to our Sunday morning worship services. Check us out at www.thecross957.org. This is the first day, Palm Sunday in Holy Week. We have church every day. Uh... Check out our schedule. I already mentioned it earlier. I'm not going to bore you with that right now. We've got church every day, every evening during Holy Week, and also three opportunities for worship next Sunday on Easter Sunday, 6 a.m. Easter sunrise service, and then our two divine services will be at 8.30 and 10.30, and that schedule is for Easter Sunday only. All those uh, services will be broadcast live, so you can listen on the radio or listen on your handheld device or over the computer worldwide. We are looking at the readings for Palm Sunday. In segment one, we looked at the introit, a portion of Psalm 22. Segment two, we looked at the Holy Gospel, Matthew 21, 1 to 9. Segment 3, we looked at the prophecy leading to that gospel, Zechariah 9, 9 to 12. And now we want to turn to some very, very familiar words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Some people believe that this was an early Christian hymn or an early Christian creed. So, Vicar, take it away. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that from several places in Scripture. That was indeed an early Christian creed. And uh, the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus claims to be God in the flesh. And Jesus is who he says he is because Good Friday and Easter prove it. Have this mind among yourselves. You know, Pastor, oftentimes we talk about how a Christian should change their behavior, how a Christian should act like a Christian. We talk about sanctification, living the sanctified life. We talk about uh, the third use of the law, God's law teaching us how we ought to live, and yet Lutheran Christians do not talk about having the mind of Christ Jesus very often. We talk about physical activities, but seems that we don't want to get too close to maybe like uh, um, Eastern Orthodox mysticism, so we don't or theosis. So we don't talk about this mind transformation stuff very often what's the proper way to understand what paul is teaching here with regard to have this mind among yourselves
1: well i think the thing that he's saying here if you look in the greek the word is phronete uh, which uh, the word there means to think and so paul's saying uh, amongst yourselves think thusly uh because you belong to Christ Jesus, being in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into these words telling us this kind of creedal hymn about who Christ is. In other words, um, he's saying, this is your confession of faith. This is the way you think about uh, the faith. And uh, it starts here with who Jesus is. Uh, And once you know who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that informs all the rest of your theology as well. I think... Uh, this is something Martin Luther does really well in the small called articles. He goes through all these different doctrines and says, here's how they take away from the person work of Jesus, which is why this is a false teaching. And this is what we believe instead of this false teaching. And I think that's a really great way to go about theology. And that's the same thing Paul is doing here with this as well. That then informs our practice, our lives, the way we behave, the way we interact with our family and friends, the way we interact with uh, uh, the world and the culture, uh if our confession of faith is grounded in Christ Jesus uh, who made himself nothing, went to the cross, suffered and bled, and rose again so that we might belong to him, uh Wow, just an amazing thing to think about that being the central point of our faith
0: so vicar, does God's word actually change? Our attitude and our mind and the way we look at things and think about things, or is this like a, a metaphor for something else?
2: No, it God's word does exactly what it says it'll do. God says, "My word will not return to me void." Um, being in Christ, being Christians, we have the mind of Christ. When there are certain things placed in our way that would allow us to sin, uh, that a new man in us says, or that new woman in us says, "Don't." Do that. Uh, simple things that we go through every single day. And we have that because we are not we are no longer part of this fallen, sinful world. We live in it. But we are not members of it. Our membership is in heaven. And so God does give us a new mind. And he does this not because we are so great and holy, but he does this through his word, which works faith to trust in the words and promises of God and strive to live holy lives according
0: to it. So often uh, we take credit for the things we have not done. And here Jesus certainly is able to take credit uh, he, he's God in the flesh. He, Through him, all things that we know have been created. He certainly could legitimately take credit for all of this, this glory and honor that is his. But instead, he sets aside his glory and he humbles himself. He humbles himself in an amazing way. Is this what we're talking about, Pastor, that we should have the mind, the spirit, and the attitude of humility?
1: Well, yeah, definitely. Um, And that flows out of the fact if we have the mind of Christ and the the faith that confesses Christ. um, Christianity is by definition, and I'm talking about real Christianity here, is by definition a humble religion because it teaches one's to not look at uh, ourselves at all. You cannot find your salvation within. You have to find it only in Jesus. What have you done to save yourself? Nothing. You believe that you cannot, by your own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord, or come to him. You are completely and totally dependent on something outside of yourself, and that something is Jesus. And so you can't be a haughty Christian. You can't boast in yourself. You can only boast in Christ, who is the one who has done the work of your salvation.
0: Okay, so, so this life of humility, and, and these epistle readings, the way things are structured here in the one-year series, uh, almost always are a practical application of everything that we've read to this point. God is not far off. He comes to save us. How does he do it? God in the flesh, in fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday. He's going to the cross to bleed and die and pay for our sins. He continues to not be far from us as he comes to us in word and sacrament, writing humbly, uh, ink on paper, writing humbly in bread and wine, coming to save us and to give us life. This is a transforming thing, a life-changing gospel, as our minds are transformed, that we are made like him. Pastor, something that I noticed here And I noticed with regard to the active and the passive voice. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself. So Jesus humbles himself. And then in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. Jesus humbles himself, and then God the Father is the one who does the exalting. How is this a picture of how Christians are to live their lives, humbling ourselves and then waiting for an exalting or a lifting up that comes from outside of us? And even uh, the fact that God humbles us by giving us his word, the law,
1: that uh, when we hear the law that says, do this, don't do that, and we look at ourselves, we have failed, failed, failed across the board. Um, we're humbled then, uh, and yet it is God then that does the work that is necessary to exalt us. And that will happen for us um. Not by at our timing or our, our desire, but rather it will happen at the end of our, our world when Christ raises us, grants us eternal life, and takes us to live with him forever. And then our exaltation is not ours, but rather it is Christ's glory that we are exalted in uh, to live and dwell with God forever in peace and joy. In uh, and, and so in a way, maybe to bring this back to our uh, triumphal entry picture, uh, the triumph That we are celebrating is Jesus' triumph, and yet we ride into uh, heaven with him as a part of the the train of his glory, if you will, uh, to uh, celebrate with him, but it's not glory found in us, but rather found in him.
0: Hasn't, in a sense, hasn't this already happened in the waters of our baptism?
1: It has happened, and yet at the same time, not yet, of course. And that's the uh, tricky part of being a Christian. We have all that now, um, but we don't fully realize it until that last day comes. And so we can feel confident that it's happening. It's like, uh, you know, maybe we are um, on our way to celebrate uh, that that joy and that uh, triumph, but we haven't arrived there. The party hasn't started yet. Uh, it's soon to begin.
0: Now and not yet. Uh, Vicar in verse 10, it says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Is that now or not yet? Yes. (laughs)
2: Okay, explain. It is is certainly now, right now, when we, uh, well, I guess if you were to go out and shout in the streets, Jesus Christ is Lord, not everybody would be bowing down. But we do, as Christians, humble ourselves before God in his presence. Uh, We do this throughout the divine service between standing up and sitting down and even sometimes kneeling as we confess our sins. Uh, But we are looking forward to that final day when we will be right in the presence of Christ in his throne room and he will reign over us forever and we will just take
0: all of his blessings. And uh, ultimately, on the last day, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord, either in faith or in shame that they backed the, right, uh, back the wrong horse. And so this is a judgment day kind of a picture, and one that Christians need not fear because Christ is not far off. He has come, he has saved us, and we are in his hands, and nothing or no one can snatch us out. Vicar, do you want to pray for us? The Collect for Palm Sunday.
2: Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Mercifully grant that we may follow the example of his great humility and patience, and be made partakers of his resurrection, through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning, get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and go to church. We'll see you again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ.